The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James, described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. Rainmaker FM. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I'm your host, Kelton Reed, here to take you on another tour of the habits, habitats, and brands of renowned writers. The award-winning screenwriter and author of the debut novel, All Our Wrong Todays, Elan Mastai dropped by the show this week to talk about his fiction debut, The Science of Time Travel, and finding inspiration in dark places. The writer and producer has written movies for both indie and Hollywood studios, including scripts for Fox, Sony, Warner Brothers, and Paramount. His most recent film, What If, a comedy starring Daniel Radcliffe, Zoe Kazan, Adam Driver, and Mackenzie Davis, premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2013. Elan won the Canadian Academy Award and the Writers Guild of Canada Award for his script, and the movie played in over 30 countries. His new novel, All Our Wrong Todays, is a sci-fi-tinged time travel romance and much-buzzed-about debut that is rumored to have landed the writer a seven-figure book deal worth north of a million dollars. The book has been described as dark matter meets back to the future, and even prior to the book's publication, the film rights were sold to Paramount Pictures. Andy Weir, best-selling author of The Martian, called it a thrilling tale of time travel and alternate timelines with a refreshingly optimistic view of humanity's future. In part one of this file, Elan and I discuss his grandfather's vintage sci-fi collection and how it inspired him. How he launched his screenwriting career by translating Pulp Fiction into a kid's movie. Why writers need to know their weaknesses, how the busy screenwriter and producer found time to write a novel, and the hard science of time travel and storytelling. If you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. Just a quick reminder that The Writer Files is brought to you by Studio Press, the industry standard for premium WordPress themes and plugins. Built on the Genesis framework, Studio Press delivers state-of-the-art SEO tools, beautiful and fully responsive designs, airtight security, instant updates, and much more. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 194,000 website owners trust Studio Press. Go to rainmaker.fm/studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm/studiopress. 
And we are rolling on the Writer Files today with Elon Mastai. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Author extraordinaire, screenwriter, and uh, uh, author of this fantastic new book uh, that we're going to talk about here shortly. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so All Our Wrong Todays is uh, this amazing book. I don't really know how to describe it, so I might let you... Um, do that one, but it, but uh, you are an award-winning screenwriter who uh, has a debut novel coming out. And it's getting a ton, a ton of press, ton of buzz. Um, it's really exciting to see because the book itself is kind of jaw dropping. But yeah, do you want to <laughs> do you want to give us the the? Uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, by its very nature, it's a book. There's a lot of things going on in the book, and I mean, I, I wanted to write something where uh, the place you and the character are when it starts and where it ends, you know, is, would be, is very unexpected. You, you wouldn't believe where we go with it. So that was what I was going for when I was writing it as a very unexpected, uh, twisty journey. Uh, but of course it does make, uh, summing it up a little challenging, but basically the book opens in the present day in 2016, but it's the 2016 that people in the 1950s and 60s thought we were going to have this sort of techno utopian, you know, future of flying cars and robot maids and teleportation and uh, where all of humanity's problems have basically been solved by technology. doesn't mean that everything's perfect. People still have their own uh, individual problems, romantic problems, family challenges, you know, uh, personal uh, obstacles. But, you know, the big picture has been solved. And, you know, there's all this incredible technology, which, of course, I get into. Um, and uh, my protagonist, Tom, um, ends up working for his father, who is developing basically time travel vacations. And, uh, of course, whenever you introduce time travel into the mix, things get uh, complicated. And because through, uh, through a basically uh, a, a time travel accident, Tom uh, finds himself stranded in what appears to him to be a, a terrible, dystopian, alternate reality, but which we recognize immediately as just the real world, yeah. like our version of 2016, which to him seems like everything has gone horribly awry. And so here, he, he's, he's, he's not from the future, he's from the present, but it's a very, very different present where the last 50 years of history went off on a totally different trajectory and he's going to try to find his way back to the world we're supposed to have, or at least what he always thought we were supposed to have. But of course, as he finds himself increasingly enmeshed in our messy version of 2016, um, well, it starts to get complicated uh, and he starts to question exactly what, what, what kind of future he really wants to have. Yeah, I mean, it makes one's head spin a little bit, but but once you start reading it, it's it's. Uh, I mean, it just sucks you right in. And uh, so kudos on the thank you the success, the buzz, the the um, you know at at the time of publishing this, it will be coming out very shortly. So, man, if 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 you like, well, I guess it's been described as reminiscent of Douglas Adams' The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I don't think that that um, really pays it justice, but it, but it's also been kind of described as a well you you've described it as a, a uh, cross between what Vonnegut and Tropper who I understand is is a friend of yours um yeah I mean actually my agent described it as that yeah. I, I would be, <laughs> uh, you know as a first-time novelist I, I would uh, be I'm a little too uh I'm a little reluctant to compare myself to uh, Kurt Vonnegut let alone uh Donald <laughs> Tropper. but uh some, somebody else described it as uh, uh I know you had Blake Crouch on your show and somebody yeah. described it as dark matter meets back to the future and I thought that was pretty yes. good yeah. Oh, that's perfect. I love it. Okay, cool. So, um, 
listeners, writers, readers uh, can find it out there for pre-order. Oh man, it is a lot of fun. It's just wild. And uh, well, you know, let's go back a little bit in time ourselves. Talk about kind of your origins as a writer. I know that you um, have done screenwriting and you've you've produced movies yourself. Um, a pretty impressive uh, slate there. Let's let's go back a little bit and just talk about kind of your origins as a writer. How did you get here? <laughs> Um, well, uh, I stole a time machine. No, my origins as a writer, I I grew up in a house surrounded by books. Um, the very earliest sort of, um, you know, uh, foundation of this book itself, my grandfather, who was a chemist, uh, he had this extensive collection of old science fiction from the, um, fifties and sixties. And I was just you know, I loved these old books. I mean, you know, when I was a kid in the 80s, they were already brittle and, you know, the covers were starting to fall apart. So I had to be very careful with them. But I loved staring at these kind of garishly painted covers with, you know, of these sort of impossible futures and imagined futures mm-hmm. and robot aids and flying cars and adventurers and, you know, losing these space aliens and moons, <laughs> you know, but even in the eighties, I knew there was like a disconnect it, that, that the future that these writers and artists in the forties and fifties and sixties had imagined, like it didn't actually come true. Like I did not get a jetpack for my 12th birthday, you know, and <laughs> it seemed a terrible injustice, but, uh, I just found myself really interested in that disconnect. Like what happened to the future we were supposed to have? Um, and this is something I've been thinking about for a long, well before I ever decided to uh, turn it into, a, you know, those questions into a novel. But, um, I, you know, my mom, when I was young, was an actress in the theater. And so they, we were around people who were making, you know, narrative art, um, you know, uh, playwrights and uh, directors and actors. I didn't really know anybody in the movie business per se, but the theater community was something that was around me. Uh, and so, you know, that idea of that, oh, like the art and entertainment that I enjoy, like somebody's making that. That's mm-hmm. like a job you can have. And um, I just was really compelled by that. But even so, I, to be honest, when I was you know, growing up and even when I went away to college, like the idea of being a writer, that being like your profession, like you could actually make a living doing it, it seemed very far off. It seemed kind of impossible. Like, the, the, <laughs> the, you know, how do you actually do that? Who's gonna take a chance on you when there's so many terrific writers out there? Who's gonna give you a shot? So I kind of stumbled my way into my first uh, writing job. I was still a student and, um, uh, you know, this woman that I had gone to school with, um, she had gotten a job as an assistant to a producer. We ran into each other and I, you know, I, she knew I was interested in writing and I had made some short films in college and she had liked them. And so she offered to get me an interview with her, um, with her boss. They made a kid's movie that had done well and they were looking to do a, a sequel really quickly. And she said, you know, you're not gonna, um, you're not going to get hired. You're, there's no way you're going to get hired, but I could get you a meeting. He's meeting other <laughs> writers. And yeah. I was like, meeting that, like a meeting was so far beyond my actual plans. Like, I didn't even know how you got, how you get a meeting with a producer. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, great, I'll go to the meeting. And uh, I, when I look back on it, I don't think she actually explained to her boss that I had never written a movie before. <laughs> I think he just thought, well, if I'm sitting there, I, I must know what I'm doing. And so he basically sat there with his feet up on his desk and told me what he thought the sequel should be about. And because I was told in advance, there's no way I was getting hired. I was like, 
I was like, I, I don't know about that idea. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's a good one. I, I, I think that there's some interesting things there, but here's what I think you should do for your sequel. And so I basically just pitched him off the top of my head what I thought he should do with the sequel because I was like, what, what do I have to lose? Right. Um, you know, he's inevitably the, the best case scenario was he would steal my idea and hire a real writer, but he liked the idea and he thought about it. And the next day they called me and said, would you take what you said in the meeting and write it down? And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll pay you, uh, and we'll that, like to write an outline. So yeah. I had to find out what an outline was. Um, and, uh, and they liked my outline. And so they hired me to write the movie. And at every step of the way, I kept thinking I was going to get fired. At some point, someone's going to realize I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, yeah. and I, I, I knew so little about screenwriting that I, I went out and, you know, my, one of my favorite movies at the time was Pulp Fiction. So I went out and I bought the published screenplay. Nowadays, you can get any screenplay online. Yeah. But at the time, it was actually hard to find a screenplay, but they had published Pulp Fiction. So I figured, you know, Tarantino does basically everything in that movie. Anything you could do in a movie, he does in that movie. So I, I figured if, if I had to figure out what something looked like, I would just look it up in Pulp Fiction. And so, <laughs> so this was a kid's movie, uh, but I, 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 I followed Tarantino's model to the point where, you know, Pulp Fiction is 134 pages. So I made my screenplay 134 pages, which if you know anything about screenplays <laughs> is really, really long. It is. Yeah. A kid's movie should be about 80 80, 85 pages long, you know, uh, and the producer, uh, described it as war and peace with chimps. Uh, <laughs> uh, but fortunately he felt there was a good, there's, there's actually something, you know, uh, there's, there's enough of a movie in there that once we sort of cut, cut about, you know, uh, half of my ideas out of it, there was something to hone. And so it all happened very quickly. I wrote like three drafts of the script in five weeks, constantly assuming I was going to get fired. And then the movie got greenlit. Uh, and I found myself in this position of being on set. I only went to set like once or two, like I think I was on set maybe twice. Uh, mm. It wasn't a situation where I was like on set doing rewrites. Like it was very much the kind of classic, like I wrote the script, they said thank you very much and went off and made the movie. Right. But I didn't come to set, but I found myself in this weird position of, you know, I'm on set. I, I had named all the characters after like my friends, my roommates from college. Uh, I'd named like locations, you know, the shops after just people in my life um, because I just assumed someone was going to rewrite all of this. But here I am on set with characters named after my friends delivering dialogue that I wrote in locations that I had, you know, uh, imagined it in, it was like walking around inside your own dream. And even though writing kids movies was not my ambition, that feeling of like all these people, dozens and dozens of people scurrying around building uh, my, th this story that had only existed in my head, but in the real world, it was uh, this magical moment. And I, I feel like my entire career as a screenwriter was to keep trying to recapture that sort of dazzling feeling of wonder that I'd actually, while awake, walked into my own dream. Wow. Um, and even though like that movie is, it's a silly kids movie. Uh, it did well enough that it, uh, inspired some sequels. I didn't, I didn't write any of them because writing kids, I mean, I really appreciated the opportunity, but once I'd been through the process, I realized writing kids movies wasn't my person, like it wasn't really what I wanted to do. Um, yeah. but, but I'd had a movie made and uh, Warner brothers picked it up and, and that, uh, for international distribution. And that really kickstarted my screenwriting career. And so I had this, uh, thing where I kind of like I kind of, I felt like a bit like, um, you know, Chauncey Gardner from being there or Forrest Gump <laughs> or something like that. Like I'd kind of stumbled into this career and into this opportunity anyways. And then once I'd had the opportunity, which I have to admit, looking back, you know, I was, I was, in, I was like still a, a college student. Um, I didn't take it that seriously at the time. And then suddenly I was like, oh, like I could actually, I could actually do this. I had no idea how you could 
even start a writing career, but I somehow stumbled into it. Now I have to actually really start taking this seriously. And it's not just a lark. It's not just, you know, it's not an exam that you tell everybody you, you only started studying for the night before to protect yourself if you do badly. Now I'm actually, I could actually do something. I have, I have a, there's a, like the door is open a crack and mm. the only way to get through it is to, is, is to just get to be a much better writer. And so, um, because that's the other thing about, there's nothing like um, seeing actors on set and people spending all this money and delivering your dialogue to make you, you know, aware in the most cringeworthy fashion that uh, you're writing. It sounded a lot better in your head. Right. So people are speaking it out loud. And so it was a real I mean, just that experience, in addition to sort of the magical sense of being in this waking dream, it was also the sort of kick in the pants that, yeah, I need to work a lot harder get to be a much better writer if I'm ever going to write the kinds of movies or the, or the kinds of anything that um, could compare to the things that made me want to do it in the first place. So then I went through a very intensive period. Um, I was lucky I had a great early opportunity, but I went through a real intensive period of just trying to get better as a writer, trying to close that gap between what I wanted it to feel like in my head and what was actually coming out on the page. And I got a couple other movies made and I uh, got better and I just worked really hard. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's just that thing in the movie, but I mean, really in anything in the movie business, but in a lot of kind of any kind of writing field, you have so little control over how your work is received, but what you can control is how it, it is the actual writing itself. You, you know, each yeah. work one at a time, that's what you can control. And that became kind of my mantra was just, um, just focus on the writing, uh, figure out what your strengths are, figure out what your weaknesses are, try to make your strengths better, try to make your weaknesses stronger and, uh, and, and just kind of keep plugging away basically and not, not even worry so much about, um, how it's going to be received, what the reviews are going to be like. Just, just worry about every single day doing the best writing you can. Yeah. Wow. That's a good takeaway. Well, you, I mean, you've had so much success. It seems that, you know, you've written for Fox, Sony, Warner Brothers, Paramount. Um, and then you had a film premiere at Toronto International Film Festival. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Called What If, starring Daniel Radcliffe of um, Harry Potter fame, Zoe Kazan, Adam Driver, who I love, Mackenzie Davis also fantastic actor. So you, so you wrote and produced this movie, um, and yeah. uh, got to kind of tour around with it, and and uh, it was very well received. It's it's a lot of fun. It it would seem so. You were on the set for that movie. Yeah, and now I mean, what I learned through a couple movies, you know, I had a few movies made early on in my career where I really just sort of handed off the script. I didn't have a lot to do with it, and yeah. what I realized like that wasn't fully satisfying to me, and I, I started taking more and more of a role on my projects, and that turned into a producing role. Um, and yeah, I started spending, you know, being on set for the entire shoot, being involved from the very beginning in, uh, you know, budgeting and casting and hiring crew and on the other side of production in editing and, and, and even just the marketing and promotion. Um, you know, I made the decision to team up with people who were looking for a partner. And I also, you know, on on what if I was working with a director who I didn't know Mike Douse before we started working on it, but we came we became very close and we became real creative partners. Um and so I was able to be on set every day and be at the monitors and be, you know, an integral part of the of the production process, not just somebody who hands the script off. Um, yeah, producing a movie is not super fun. Uh, it's uh, it it makes you want to tear, <laughs> tear your hair out. But yeah. it's the be But if you can if you can figure out the skill set to produce your own work, it's the best way to protect your writing. And in the case of What If, I didn't need to protect my writing insofar as I had a great director, I had an incredible cast who were already very protective of my script. But um, 
you know, making sure if you're going to have a place at the table, you actually have to make that decision well before the movie ever starts, uh, starts, you know, marching towards production. You have to make it at the earliest stage. You have to say, I'm going to be a producer on this movie. I'm going to hope I find a terrific director, terrific actors who treat me, uh, you know, who really want a partner who, who love the script, but I don't know that that's going to happen. So I'm going to install myself as a producer at the earliest stage yeah. so that, that, so that I always have the opportunity to protect it, even if I don't need to, it's like, you know, you don't, you know, you, you, you don't get an alarm system installed in your house while the break-in is happening. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's a great point. Um, well, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to call the police. <laughs> Someone's breaking into my house. I need you to send the police here. And if you could send a security, like an alarm installer, that would be terrific. Well, you've clearly been influenced by um, some great romantic comedy uh, directors and producers yourself, that being a romantic comedy, what if, um, that actually won a Canadian Academy Award. You, you won a uh, Writers Guild Award as well. Yeah. So you found success there, but then how, like, then how did you make the jump? Were you working on the novel that whole time, or did you, did you decide to take a break to work on the novel? Uh, no, actually, I, I, I started the novel actually during the press tour for what if, hmm. uh, I was on a press tour. I'd never been on a press tour before. None of the movies had ever, uh, written had invited me along to be part of the sort of, you know, of this multi-city promotional process that happens when a movie comes out. But on what if I was invited along. And so, you know, being on a press tour is weird, especially if you're not used to it. I mean, you know, someone like Daniel Radcliffe, has been doing it since he was a kid and he's just, you know, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's got, he's got it all, all on lockdown. It's, you know, when you watch him, um, you know, handle interviews, it's like, you know, you're watching uh, like a competitive swimmer, <laughs> right? You know? but I wasn't like that. I was, it was a weird process. And I also found that I, w- I didn't have any time to write. You know, you're scheduled in almost like, you know, 15 or 30 minute blocks. Someone's always telling you where to go, who to talk to, where to sit. And, um, and I, 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 I'm somebody, I like to write every single day. I, yeah. one might even say I need to write every single day if one was perhaps a psychologist. <laughs> um, and so I found that I had very little time to write. And, but at the same time, I also had intentionally not taken on any screenwriting projects because I knew the promotion was going to take up a lot of time and I didn't want to get behind on deadlines or have promised something to somebody that I couldn't deliver. So I took a little break and I think it was just my mom, you know, I was traveling a lot. I was in new cities. I was meeting all kinds of people and I just started thinking about this story and the more I started thinking about it, the more I got excited about it. But I also realized that there was a way I wanted to tell this story and it wasn't a movie. It could be a movie, uh, down the line. Um, and I, and I think it will be a great movie. Um, we, I, you know, I've sold the, I sold the rights uh, for the movie to, to Paramount and we're working on that right now. But I, I, I realized that I, I wanted to tell the story as a, as a novel, particularly as a first person kind of, uh, uh, phone memoir that I wanted to, I wanted to not just be a story that I was telling, but a story that the protagonist was telling about this thing that happened to him. And so while I was on the press tour, it was kind of, it it was this sort of weird fugue state where I was, it wasn't like my real life. You know, I was, my real life does not involve, you know, dinners and screenings and interviews and staying in hotels. That's not my regular life. Um, this is the sort of alternate reality that I've been thrust in. And so whenever, and so whenever I'd have a little break, I would just start, I started the process of thinking about, uh, and started writing this novel in little spurts. In fact, if you read the novel, the chapters are very short and I really embrace that. 
those short chapters. But the actual original reason the chapters are so short is they just, I only usually had like 15 or 20 minutes at a time to write. And so that each chapter was just um, how much time I had to write them that day. And so I, I started just trying to do it every single day. If I could just take 15, 20 minutes, if I could just write 250 or 500 words, a day, then I would feel that I got something done and, and that I was you know, just challenging myself, pushing myself, trying something new while I was in this weird state that was sort of outside my regular sort of daily writing routine. And so those, and I started to like the idea of the short chapters. It started to aesthetically, I, I started to really enjoy it and I started to like what I was writing. And so the press tour ended and I didn't want to stop. Um, now I, 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 like a lot of people, I had a day job. I, unlike a lot of people, my day job is writing movies. I, I'm, a, you know, I'm a working screenwriter. I have contracts, I have deadlines, I have things I have to deliver to people. And so I just started writing the novel basically evenings and weekends. Every day I would carve out half an hour, 45 minutes. Uh, I would try to, I set myself, um, a page, like a word count of 250 to 500 words, not a lot, very small, manageable, but I did it every single day. And so just on the side, I started writing this book and, you know, you do it every single day after five, you know, you, after five months, you start to actually have, or you have, I had a rough draft of this novel. It needed a lot of work. It needed a lot of massaging and polishing. Yeah. I cut tons. I added new stuff. I moved stuff around, but by doing it a little, tiny little bit every single day while I was doing my day job, which is writing movies, I actually was able to um, uh, complete uh, a very rough but finished first draft. Wow. Wow. Well, uh, it's an incredibly impressive debut. Um, you know, uh, I love how people talk about the, the kind of the overnight success. And obviously, you've been, you'd been working in film um, and narrative kind of storytelling itself quite a while um so it wasn't it wasn't a surprise um that you put together this fantastic uh kind of uh, uh story but um well, that's nice of you to say <laughs> I that when i was starting it i was like i'm a screenwriter why am i spending all this time writing a novel that yeah. i didn't have a publishing deal i didn't have a literary agent i didn't know right. if i was going to want to publish it now I, so i mean i appreciate you saying that and um you know the finished book that people are saying such nice things about is the result, of course, of a lot of rewriting, a lot of polishing, a lot of hard work to get it to, to the place where it was ready to be unleashed on the world. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there was, in the beginning, it was, there was very much of like, I don't, I don't know why I'm doing this other than that I have a story to tell and I feel compelled to tell it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it is, it is really fun. And, um, uh, I will point back to your website, I think, uh, elonmastai.com where you can pre-order the book and or order it um, if you're listening to this after it's been published and on, on all these fantastic platforms. But uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like a lot of research went into some of these things. Now, I haven't asked Andy Weir um, what he thinks about the science uh, behind it, but I would be curious. But he did plug it. Uh, he loved it. He said it was a thrilling tale of time tra travel, alternate timelines with a re refreshingly optimistic view of humanity's future. And uh, uh, he was also a guest on this show, which I will point to in the show notes for listeners also. But uh, we're, what, what, tell me about the science. Is, is this, uh, were you just having a lot of fun? I mean, it seems like you were just having so much fun writing this, but were you also consulting like Wikipedia from time to time on the time travel stuff or? Uh, I mean, not necessarily Wikipedia, but yeah, yeah I mean, the way, I, my grandfather, who was the one who really like introduced me to science fiction when I was a kid, was a, was a chemist. He was a scientist by trade, and he loved science fiction, but he often would complain that, you know, these, these 
sci-fi books are terrific, but they get the science all wrong. They don't even try. And in fact, the science is very interesting. And if they would just, he was always going on about if they would just take a little bit of time to figure out the science, they would actually find their story would be more interesting (laughs) because it it would be grounded in, in reality. And I guess that's always been a bit of a, a, you know, that that's always sort of been in the back of my mind. So when I started writing, I would definitely just write where my imagination took me, you know, and I would kind of just, just run with it. But then I made the decision, I'm going to figure out how as much of this stuff as possible would actually work. And so whether that's, uh, what traffic patterns might be like in a world with flying cars or, um, how exactly radiation works Uh, and most specifically, um, creating a model of time travel that takes into consideration that the planet moves and not just that the earth is constantly moving, but that it's moving very, very quickly. You know, um, at its equator, the earth rotates on its axis at a thousand miles an hour. And every second of the day, the earth, you know, the earth is rotating around the sun at about 67,000 miles per hour. So that's very, very fast. And that's not even taking into consideration how fast the sun is moving through the galaxy. And so I, I've never really seen a, a time, tra- like I love time travel stories. <laughs> I read a lot of them. I had never personally found one that actually acknowledged that the earth is constantly moving. And if you're going to throw somebody back in time, you're actually also throwing them uh, back in space and not just a short distance, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, millions, even billions of miles, literally back in, in space to land very precisely on the spinning outer crust of our planet and not like embedded inside the planet, not so far high up in the atmosphere that, that you fall to your death, not in an ocean, not in an object, not out in the empty vacuum of space, but actually right on the planet in the exact spot. And I thought, well, this is very complicated. It involves math. I'm not a mathematician or a physicist, but if I'm going to ask uh, my reader to read this, I'm going to figure it out. I want to see if I can come up with a, a model of time travel that actually takes into consideration orbital mechanics and astrodynamics. And by doing that, I opened up all these other really cool areas of storytelling uh, that I wouldn't have uh, actually found in the writing process had I not started that process of actually trying to work out the orbital mechanics. Thanks so much for joining me for this half of a tour through the writer's process. If you enjoy the Writer Files podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review on iTunes to help other writers find us. For more episodes or to just leave a comment or a question, you can drop by writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.